0: Good morning, everybody. Am I on? Okay. First of all, it is an incredible joy for Cheryl and I to be the Simi Church, the outpost of the kingdom of God here in Simi Valley. And we are inspired by you. We're proud of you. And it's just a family reunion to be able to come and and see all of you. So many friends here. Uh, of course, our history with uh, Joe and Lynette go back many, many years, but also with many of you. But it's a real treasure in the kingdom of God to have relationships yeah. of decades. Yeah. Yes. And you get to live life with family. You get to be adopted into family. Yeah. I saw Joe's mom, Fran, or as I call her, Mrs. C, yeah. uh, out there in the hallway. And, uh, you know, her, her legacy lives on in my belly. Many yeah. of my cells. Have been attributed to Mrs. C because um, she has one famous, well, she has many famous recipes, but one that she trained me on. And in Santa Clara, I mean, it is large quantities of beef and pasta and cheese. So, you know, I love it. There's no quinoa in there, there's no tofu in there, there's no kale in there. It's just all that, there's pasta, meat, and cheese. And by the way, when you feed Kyle and Haley, they also like large quantities of meat. They prefer those things. That's good. But, you know, life gets passed on through the generations, and it's fun when, when you get to see each other, and you see we've aged, we've grown up, we're living life. Uh, but I just got to say, Cheryl and I are so proud of Joe and Lynette. Uh, we're so proud of the work they're doing here in Seamy. And it's really fun. It is true. To my shame, Joe has been begging me for two and a half years to come and speak to you. And so it, it's a real joy to be here. Yeah, but uh, we love Joe Lynette. We love you guys. Uh, Santa Clarita, we're inspired by you. And so keep up the great work. And I am super pumped that you guys have hired campus interns. I got to know Kyle at the L.A. Church internship program uh, a couple weeks ago at UCLA. So that was fun. Uh, you're in good hands, but it's going to be amazing. But uh, today we're going to talk about living a worthy life. Right. Okay. And I know how most of us think when you hear the word worthy, you yeah. think of worth, you think of value. And normally what we do is our mind starts wandering. See, I know I'm not good enough. I haven't performed well enough. Um, God's probably not happy with me. And But that's actually not what we're going to be talking about. And and you're, you're going to see that that's actually not what the Bible talks about either. But we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians 1. And starting in verse 3, Paul says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then let's drop down verse 10. And he says, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. And there's a couple of times in there you get that concept of of worthy, that that we're going to be found worthy, and that God is going to make us worthy. And what's the context here? Well, he's talking about there's going to come a moment at the end. And it says, and then Jesus is going to come, and all glory is going to be his, through his people. That's you and I. And you go, that's pretty cool to think about. You know, the other day... I saw this bumper sticker on my niece, Brooke, uh, her car. She's a disciple in our teen ministry. And I said, Brooke, I got a question for you. She goes, yeah, Uncle Ron. And I said, what is hecky? <laughs> and she smiled, The you're definitely an old guy that you asked that question. And she goes, Uncle Ron, it's not hecky. It's he is greater than I. I go oh that that makes way more sense than hecky <laughs> okay i'm with I'm with you now, I get the bumper sticker, and so you know, but that's that's kind of the concept of what Paul's getting the disciples to focus on is he is greater than I, and it's so easy to get um consumed with me, myself, and I, and take our eyes off the King of kings and the Lord of Lords, and so uh you know. If you thought this was Hecky, you know, I asked the tough question. You know, it's like in school when you're thinking something, but you don't want to ask. Right. And then somebody else asks, and you're like, yes, I was thinking the same thing. Right. Now you know what Heckey he is. He is greater yeah. than I. So, you know, it's pretty cool, though, in verse 10. It says, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. You know what this says about God? It says, he's the original Marvel. (laughs) You know, Hollywood, they do all their big blockbusters and certainly this time of year. You know, I'm not into comics. I like all those movies. Um, I love good brainless action movies, but I hadn't heard of Ant-Man and Wasp uh, before. So those are new things. But, you know, it's cool to see all their superpowers. The original hero is God. And the Bible says there's going to come a time where we actually just sit there and stare at him and go, wow. Wow. Like the first glimpse of God is going to make up for all the pain, all the hardship, all the suffering, all the toil, all the struggles, all the disappointments. Just the first glimpse of God and his glory is going to make everything we went through to get there. Totally worth it. Amen. We will no longer ask why. After about, you know, .001 seconds, we'll go, I get it. Mm-hmm. But Paul's trying to help us get it ahead of time, so we're not waiting for that moment to get it. And that's the concept we're going to talk about with the worthy life. So, in, in verse 3, it says uh, that you are worthy. Did I miss it? Where is it? Oh, verse 5. He said, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And then down there in verse 11, it talks about that, that God will make you worthy. Now, the question is, what, what does that word mean? What is it? Well, here's, here's what it means. Here's, here's the Greek word, axios. Now, if you're into math, do we have any mathematicians in here? I love math. I actually liked it because there was a right and a wrong answer, and I didn't like <laughs> writing papers that they could give you a bad grade and say, well, I disagree, but you couldn't defend yourself. Right. So I liked math. I went into chemistry. But axios, it comes from the, it's the same word of axiom. It's a truth. It's a, it's a statement of congruence, which means, hey, this relates to this. It's, it's, it's a little different than equal. Congruence is, yeah, it's, yeah, this makes sense. They're connected, they represent each other. And the idea of worthiness is that your life is congruent with this God that we're going to marvel at one day and go, aha, uh-huh, I get it. So when they talk about living a worthy life, What Paul's talking about is your life ought to relate. Your your life ought to match up. That what's on one side of the equation here should match up with a God that we marvel at on the other side. Okay? So that's this, this statement of congruence. And by the way, that's the mathematical symbol for congruence. So, you know, throw that in for free. Okay, so here's some examples of places where this word is used in the scriptures. In Luke 3, they come out to be baptized, and what's John the Baptist say? He goes, produce fruit, axios, in keeping with repentance. He's saying that you need to produce the fruit that shows the connection to the God that we're going to marvel at. Mm -hmm. And in Acts 26, Paul says that I preached that they should repent and demonstrate, same word, their repentance by their deeds. You know, sometimes you hear people say, hey, um, you should not be judging my repentance. That should be left up to God. You know, Paul didn't think that way. He said, no, repentance should show a congruence of life. Now, certainly, we can't judge the attitudes of the heart. Only God knows that. On the other hand, our life should be demonstrably connected to a God that we claim to worship. Okay? It just kind of only makes sense. In Matthew 10, what's he say? Anyone who loves their mother, father, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what's he saying here? That to love another human more than we love God, he goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, wait, you're saying, I love God. He's the aha moment. He's he's the marvel. He's the one we're going to just one day, we're just going to go, wow, wow but then I'm going to go love a human more than that? He goes, that's not congruent. That's not worthy. That doesn't make any sense. You know, parents, we got a lot of parents in here. You know, one of the challenges we face as a parent is what does it mean to be a godly parent? You know, the Bible does not say that to be a godly parent means you provide everything for your child that you never had but sometimes that's what we think it means. So we work 80 hours a week. Why? Because we want to provide for our kids everything that we never had. They would rather have more of you and less of your financial resources. Or how about this? I want them to participate in every possible activity that I never got to participate in. I don't know if you have that here in Simi, but in Santa Clarita, we have a lot of that, where activities are no longer just like this small little compartment of life. It seems like every activity is year-round, dominates. And and you know what's interesting about all those activities? We have a lot in music and band. Uh, We've got a lot of, you know, that are in dance. We have a lot of athletics. And I love all those things. But you know what's funny is all those activities, have everything is mandatory for them, right? Did you ever notice that? Oh, we've got a mandatory team meeting. Jesus says, you have a mandatory church right. meeting. Yes. Oh, I don't know, bro. That's a little old school. Yeah, it is. It actually goes all the way back to Matthew 10. Oh, but they got homework due tomorrow. Yeah, well, then they gonna be up till midnight doing their homework. But it's amazing sometimes that, that we would never think of pulling somebody from a sports practice because they have homework, but a devotional or a midweek or something else we look at as optional. You know, Jesus says if, if you love... Your mother, your father, your wife, your kids, your husband more than me. he goes, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't go along with somebody that claims to worship the God who is incredible. Right. he goes that that doesn't that doesn't go right. You say, yeah, but I, I, I want to love people, yeah, but sometimes you've got to stand up to the people that you love to make a seeking the kingdom first decision that will actually produce the right things in the end. But the issue is, is it congruent? Does it make sense? Look look at the right after that in verse 38. Anybody who does not take up their cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. That does not, again, does not mean you're not valuable enough. Jesus demonstrated your value to him when he died for you on the cross. The point is, do you live a lifestyle that makes sense with a person that claims to worship the true living God? And he's saying, if you don't take up your cross daily and follow me, your lifestyle, it, do, it doesn't make sense. It's like, wait, what? You know, somebody's a celiac and they're allergic to gluten. You don't see them going to the store and eating a big loaf of, white, or of uh, wheat bread. <laughs> right. And then they're sick for days. You go, well, that wouldn't make any sense. Right. Same idea. Is your Christianity daily? You know, I remember uh, talking with uh, Joan Linette Lynette way, way back in the day. Uh, when we were mentoring them, we mentored the Lucheras and we mem- mentored the Lotanes. Do you know what our, our, our weekly d time was? And we all had kids. It was Friday at 9 p.m., <laughs> every Friday. The Lotanes lived in Burbank. Joel and Lynette lived in Woodland Hills. Um, Luceras lived in Woodland Hills. And we would get together every Friday at 9 p.m., and most of the time we, weren't, we would stop hanging out at midnight. And we did that every week. Like, I got a question for you. I said, hey, let's get some mentoring time. It's going to be Friday nights at 9 (laughs) p.m. How would that be? You know, in Santa Clarita, one of the words that you, you hear a lot spoken now is, well, now we're learning to be balanced. Really, do you think, does balance fit into this? Now, I, I'm all with living a sustainable lifestyle. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. On the other hand, what does balanced mean? Does balance mean we're creating a life with no cross? Does balance mean that out of our 168 hour week, if we're at church on Sunday and we read our Bible once in a while, that that's balanced? Is that okay? You see, Jesus says that whoever does not take up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy. The lifestyle. There's a disconnect there. It doesn't make sense. I want us to live a life that we can live for eternity. But it can't be one without a cross in it. See, what's, what's the worthy life look like? If somebody was to look at your life and go, does your life match up with somebody that says, I worship the true God? Mm -hmm. I worship the God that all I need to see is one second of who he is, and it makes a lifetime of struggle totally worth it. Does our lifestyle make sense to an outside observer? That's this idea of the worthy life. You know, the thing about worthiness, and go over to Acts chapter 13, is calling is from God. Worthiness is your chosen response. In Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 44. It says, On the next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life, believed you know what it's it's an interesting passage here because what's what's paul saying he goes well we had to start with you why because the jews were called by god they were His chosen people and paul said hey we we had to start in the synagogue we had to start preaching on the sabbath why because because god was calling you to be his people but to be called by god is not the same as choosing a worthy response. You can reject your calling. It is not an accident that you're here today. God has something for you to hear. God's word is speaking to you. But you can come to church and hear words and predetermine, no matter what is said, I will not change. I've done it before. Where you, you come to church and you go, I'm too tired. I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to hear anything else that I need to do differently. Um, I'm going to just kind of feel fine about where I'm at. You know, I remember uh, my twin brother. He's a disciple with his wife up in Santa Clarita. He's, he's a good brother most of the time. <laughs> but... He was my biggest persecutor when I got baptized. And I remember trying to get him to go to church with me in Chicago. And I go, Mike, you just got to come with me once. Uh, I was in school at the University of Iowa at the time. And so we we had to drive four and a half hours to get to church. But I said, just come with me once and see the church. And he goes, what do you think? that you are going to baptize me? And I said, well, no, not necessarily, but I would like for you to see the church. And he came, and he got to see Marty Fuquay preach in Chicago. And, uh, you know, he was riveted on Marty Fuquay preaching the word. And uh, it was an amazing sermon. And then afterwards in the fellowship, everybody kept hugging him, and he leans over, and he goes, if one more person hugs me, I'm going to punch him. (laughs) And I said, okay, time to leave the fellowship. (laughs) That was not the moment when he ended up deciding to become a disciple. Life actually took a journey for him of a few more years. And it was one of emptiness where he was working as a lawyer in Minneapolis, had all kinds of money, had a great life. And realized how empty he was, even though he had achieved everything. The calling was there in Chicago. But he still had to choose his response. You see, God's calling you, but then you have to choose your response. And the question is, will your response be a worthy response? Will it make sense? You know, sometimes we hear a message and we go, wow, that's really awesome, and go, well, let's study the Bible. Ah, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm really busy, I don't have any time, maybe when the summer's over. Okay, that's not a worthy response. You go, yeah, but I said I really like church, so that must be good. no. Now, worthiness is is where how you live and what you choose to do matches up with the belief in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the question is, is, what's your choice? You see, only you can say this, I am worthy. And I'm not talking about value. This is you saying... I will live life in a worthy way. I will live life in a way that matches up to a belief in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I say, somebody ought to make that into a bumper sticker, I think. You know, so, you know, Brooke had a hecky. But we can have this, you know, I am congruent with him, okay? So, what's the Bible calls to do in worthiness? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1 to 3. As prisoner then for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, listen to what that looks like. What's a worthy response? Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, let's step through those. Cuz sometimes we like to fuzzy up what does it mean. Okay? Why do you think the word completely is in front of humble? <laughs> because just like in marriage, if your wife says something like you always leave your socks in the middle of the floor. A well-trained husband, not a completely humble husband, will immediately go back and find the one or two exceptions in the last 25 years to disprove the always statement that was just made. Right? And that is the same reason why the word completely is in front of humble. Because the most prideful among us, if we're told that we're proud, will go, that's not true. Because on Tuesday, (laughs) my boss said this to me, and I was really mad, but I was humble. See, I'm not proud. That's why it says completely humble. See, Paul is phrasing in a way where we have no wiggle room. But he says complete humility, that is a worthy response to a belief in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, what do we do? We minimize pride. Well, I'm just prideful. Or the famous one, you know, we raise the disclaimer flag. I don't mean to be prideful, but (laughs) somehow that's supposed to be, since I said I don't mean to be prideful, you're not allowed to challenge me on the prideful thing that I'm about to say. Oh, because Paul knows how our hearts wired. It's no different than how hearts were wired 2000 years ago. That's why Paul said, "I'm going to throw the word completely in front of humble so that whatever excuse we're thinking of right now, there's no wiggle room." Okay? Completely humble. Gentle. Gentle. I want you let that word sink in for a moment. Like, who of us says, I aspire to be gentle? We aspire to be bold. We aspire to be uh, courageous, to lead, to be somebody who makes things happen. But I just want to be gentle. Like, didn't that sound so soft and, and wimpy? Like, what's Gentle. It means we're not this emotional tyrant. We can handle difficult situations with grace. Parents, you you tell your kids, tell me the truth. Be honest with me. How do you respond when they do? Do you freak out? Are you not gentle? Listen, worthiness is to be gentle. Gentle. Some of you, maybe you have your parents in the room. What about when your parents are, are too bossy? Mm-hmm. Are you gentle? You know, I don't know what conversation is going on in your house, but in mine, especially when they were teenagers, usually there was something said like, Dad, why are you freaking out? And then I would say, I'm not freaking out. Uh, let me show you freak out so you realize that what you're accusing me is actually not freaking out. You know, and other things like, well, if you would have listened the first 35 times, I wouldn't be upset on time number 36. Yo, know, gentle, gentle is difficult. That's why it's in the list. Gentle doesn't mean soft. I means in control emotionally, right. okay? This is what else? Mm-hmm. Patient, for how long, yeah. <laughs> right? Isn't that the first thing we ask? How long do I have to be patient? Right. You ever been told when you go through the drive-through, fast food, "Oh, mm-hmm. will pull up to spot number one and we'll bring your food out? <laughs> have you ever just gracefully gone, oh, hey, no problem? <laughs> You're like, serious? Like it's not ready? Like you ever wonder like what our ancestors 200 years ago would have thought about that? Wait, you actually, you drive in a thing called a car up to the window and you've ordered it there and you get up there and it's, it's ready? Are you serious? And then, and then we'd go, yeah. And last time I had to pull up to spot number one and wait. <laughs> Patient. For how long? As long as God says you need to be patient. You know, I love the next one. Bearing with one another in love. What's that What's that mean, bearing? Let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean fully reconciling every sin that somebody has committed against you and registering all hurt feelings and so that they've apologized and so that it's Completely reconciled. That's not bearing. You go, but aren't we supposed to resolve conflict? Yeah, but you know what? Paul actually put bearing in there. You know what bearing is? Not being so irritated with the sin or annoyingness of other people. Now, you know what? God is really spectacular in this category. Have you ever thought or said, I'm totally surrounded by all these annoying people? You ever thought that? Or like driving on the 405? I mean, what's with this? Did every worst driver like exists on L.A. decide to drive around me for this entire commute? What happened? Did you ever start thinking that God knows exactly what he's doing? You know, I remember uh, Mike and Gary lived with Joe when he was single. And Joe was an awesome roommate, but he had this alarm clock that I could hear one floor below down the hall. And it was like, like that's the noise it made. And it's like a foot from Joe's head and he wouldn't wake up. And Mike, across the hall, is like, Gary! Turn his alarm off! And every morning. But you know what? Joe, Gary, and Mike are the best of friends. They loved living together. They had a blast. You know what? God uses people to be sandpaper on our rough edges. And he picks and chooses the type of grit that you need. That's right. You know what he says? Bear with one another in love. That's right. That yeah. not everything that happens needs to be a big sit-down talk. Amen. Okay. Well, that hit home somewhere. All right. That's awesome. God is divine sandpaper, and he uses people to do that. Bearing with one another in love. Okay. Then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. When when people hang out with you, do they leave more united or more upset? Good point. How about on social media? The posts. Do they read what you write? And they leave feeling more united? Or is there more angst? Do they feel more bonded? Do they feel close to God? Close to others? I'm not telling you you can't have opinions. This is not an issue of have no opinions. Be a brainless Christian robot and just live your life without opinion. No. It's talking about being a peacemaker. We can unite. Or we can divide. Is there a trail of harmony that follows you, or is it a dust cloud like Pig Pen (laughs) in the, you know, Snoopy cartoons? That's a worthy response. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Verse twenty-seven. Whatever happens. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Okay, so what's he talking about here? He says that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together, as one for the faith of the gospel. Are you a team player? Are you like a lone wolf? Oh, me and God, we do our thing. You know, I can't tell you how many conversations I have as a minister when you invite somebody to church that goes something like this. I love God. We're tight. But I I don't really want to have anything to do with church. You can't have that. You cannot be just an attender. Are you a team player? Are you striving together? The Simi Church is an amazing ministry. Okay? What if it all depended on you? What if your commitment level, what if your heart, your love, your evangelism was everything? What would the Simi Church look like then? You see, you're striving together. It's a group effort. It's a team effort. We're going to accomplish more together than we're going to accomplish as separate individuals. Some of us are wired where we like to be the boss of our own ship. But you know what? If you have too many chiefs and not enough Indians, you don't get anything done. Striving together, the teamwork, that camaraderie, those ligaments. How's your spiritual ligaments? Yeah, the Bible uses ligaments. A little later in the chapter, are are you connected? If a ligament ruptures, you've got serious problems with the body. And if you're disconnected relationally, you're also going to have serious problems. See, how's the ligaments in your life doing? You go, well, so-and-so doesn't call me. Well, then call them. Go by their house. Just show up. How's your ligaments? Are you a team player? Are you connected in that way? It says, um, I love that, stand firm. To be worthy. Is, you're steadfast. Your spiritual convictions are not up and down and up and down and up and down. No. You stand firm in the faith. It doesn't really matter what's going on in the world around you. I remember uh, when M- Michael is doing awesome. He's our oldest son, and he's, he's married to a phenomenal disciple, Lindsay, and we have our, our, our new grandson, Hunter, and he's a real joy. But I, I remember when Michael uh, left the church in high school, and it was so painful to kind of go through that point in time. And I remember John Mannell saying, Ron, the greatest gift that you and Cheryl can give Michael right now is an unaffected Christianity. And what he meant by that is that your Christianity doesn't change one iota because of bad decision-making that's going on in his life. He said, you've told your kids their whole life that Jesus is Lord. Well, what are you teaching them? if they make a bad decision and you fall apart. He goes, who's really Lord? You see, a worthy response is to stand firm in the midst of difficult situations. Jesus is still Lord no matter what circumstances, whether it's health challenges, financial challenges, relationship issues, kid issues, parent issues. Stand firm. Final verse I want to look at. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 12. He says, For this very reason, chapter 1, Since the day we've heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy Of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. And what a passage! He says, Bearing fruit in every good work. A worthy response to the King of kings and the Lord of lords is a life that produces something. Yeah. You see, God didn't save us and then leave us on the planet just going, man, I hope they make it. No, you're here because God has good works for you to do. Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace through faith to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our Christian life is supposed to produce something. It's supposed to have an impact on the world around us. It's supposed to change the way we live our life. But we don't like when there's expectations. Because then something can be measured. But a worthy response produces something. You know, when you're grateful for something, you don't have to be told, hey, go say thank you. You just do, right? A Christian life should produce an effect on the neighborhood where we live, on the family that we're a part of of the school that we attend, of the teams that we play on. It should. That's worthy, is what Paul says. There's some other great stuff in there, but we're going to be closing out. A good friend of mine on the left, Greg Taylor, his son Cam on the right. They live in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Greg was one of the guys, along with Ron Quint and Tony Singh, that studied the Bible with me 30 years ago. And Greg is director of Hope Canada. And Greg does all kinds of great things. I mean, he does that job just as a hobby. He's actually uh, telecommunications sales and travels all over the world doing that. But he does that job just because he loves it. And they have this great project in Halifax where they feed homeless people on a regular basis. Okay, And they've been doing this project for years. Well, the guy in the middle, Graham, was just, he wanted to help somebody and he heard about that project. So he just went to help feed homeless people and help prepare the meal and clean dishes and all that. And there's a a hall where they'd go and homeless people would show up. And they'd serve the meal. And he served there for two years. Not knowing that most of the volunteers there were disciples from the Halifax Church Christ. So he just goes and he starts seeing how all these people live. And he's with them once a month for two years. And he's finally like, okay, you guys are different than the rest of the people I know in Halifax. Why? And he came to church, studied the Bible, and a couple months later, he was baptized. And he's your brother in Christ. You say, like, what what are we talking about there? He saw the congruence. He saw axios in the disciples' life for how long? Two years. It was not a spiritual experience. It wasn't a sermon. But, oh, yeah, there was some preaching of the gospel going on. Why? Because... Greg and a whole bunch of other disciples in Halifax were living a worthy life. Amen. And he saw the love of God shine through. You see, that's, that's what we're talking about, and that's the response that we need to have. Back in 2 Thessalonians, where we started, I want to go all the way down to the bottom of where we read in verse 11 and 12. And he says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Okay, who's doing the work here? God. But it says your every deed, your every desire prompted by what? Faith. You know, when you're doing well spiritually, you hear a lesson like this on living a worthy life, and you're like, yeah, say it, come on, more, yeah, this is awesome. You know, when you're not doing well, you hear a lesson like this, and you're like, oh, seriously? How am I ever going to do that? And faith will play a, a vital role in the decision you make to have a worthy response. Amen. You see, the good news for each one of us is, yeah, worthiness is a choice we make, but the hard work that will be done isn't yours. The hard work that will be done will be God's. Right. A worthy response just allows God to do what God wants to do. Amen. But you have to have faith to say, okay, God, I will be that conduit. I will be that pipeline. I will be that tank. And, you know, I I will just push the gas and God, you just steer the wheel. God wants to do so much through you, not just here in Simi, not just in Shoreline, but all over the world. Oh, yeah, you're called. But the question for each one of us is does our life match up? Does it make sense? Does it represent accurately a faith in a living God? For every single one of us, make that decision. If you're studying the Bible, yeah. have a worthy response. Yeah. Don't tell them you're busy. Figure out when you're not busy. Early in the morning, late at night, not next week, this week, right. today, tomorrow at the latest. Give that opportunity for God to do what God has been wanting to do in your life. Uh, Cheryl and I are so excited to be with you. It's a real blessing uh, to be with you this morning. Joel and Nat, we love you. me Church, we love you. Uh, pray for us in Santa Clarita, and we'll be praying for you. Amen. Amen.